backroom politics. Backroom Politics. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio from the nation's capital region in Washington, D.C. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me as they do every Tuesday from New York City. She is the former counselor to then-presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. She is bar certified in the great state of New York and I believe New Jersey. She is Sharmila Charlie. Hey, Sharmila, how are you? Hi, Justin. I'm good. How are you? Hope everyone had a wonderful Doing Thanksgiving. Fantastic. Uh, I did. I did. Somebody's got a phone ringing in the background. If we could fix that, please. And also joining me, he is the one star admiral from your United States Navy. He is the man we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, how are you? I'm wild, Justin, and just so you know, that's not my phone. I think I know whose phone it is, but we'll deal with that later. And he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who, who served under the last count four presidents. He is a longtime Washington insider and former Senate staffer. He is the man we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. Hello, gang. Hello, and we have got a busy show, whether we are talking about the tax bill's final countdown. North Korea has tested another missile as of today with breaking news out of the uh, Pan-Asian region. We've got all kinds of stuff, but we've got to talk about the topic that is on literally everybody's mind. Uh, D.C., as well as the rest of the country, as well as other parts of the world, but D.C. seems to have a sexual harassment problem. Uh, The latest revelations have come at the expense of the dean of the House of Representatives, Michigan Democratic Representative John Conyers, uh, Chairman Conyers, who currently serves as ranking member on the very powerful Judiciary Committee, announced over the weekend that he is going to step aside in that role uh, while the Ethics Committee, it appears, may be taking a look at him for several inappropriate uh, interactions with former female staffers, including a former deputy chief of staff. Uh, it is, he is the latest in several issues, that are, including Senator Al Franken, Democrat of Minnesota. Uh, we are all familiar with the, and the ever getting even weirder story surrounding Judge uh, Moore down in Alabama. And of course, we have uh, Donald Trump, our president of the United States, uh, who said that it was okay for him to grab them by the blank because he was famous. Uh, a tape now that he has recently said was not actual, was not a factual tape. We'll talk about that in a second. But we got to talk about the bigger issue. Um, I want to start, Sharmla, with you. Uh, how shocked were you to hear about the latest revelations, not only against Senator Al Franken, who has been largely seen as a proponent of women's issues, 
but a long-serving social justice Democrat like John Conyers. How, how are you affected by that revelation? I mean, it's so disappointing and disheartening. Sadly, it's not surprising. Whenever there's an imbalance of power, there's going to be an abuse of power, and it's not, you know, Democrats are just as human as Republicans, and so it's not shocking that this the scandals and, you know, these issues are going to spill over to, the, to our side of the aisle, but it is, it's incredibly sad to me to see these powerful people fight for and talk about one thing and behave completely the opposite in their personal in their personal behavior and in their private lives. It's there's no other word for it than just disheartening. Um let me ask you this question. I'm going to ask you this direct cuz we're going to have to expand on it in a little bit. Uh regarding Senator Al Franken, should Al Franken resign? I think that the level of allegations are serious, but not to the level of resignation. Do I think that he should be subject to an ethics investigation? Certainly, and potentially even some sort of formal informal censure, depending on what the evidence shows, but I don't think that resignation in this circumstance is warranted. I don't think that the behavior described by the women who have come forward, while it is terrible, doesn't merit removal or resignation from from the Senate, but I don't think that's going to it in any way. Should John yes. Conyers resign? He should. Yes, I think that resign or announce his retirement at the end of his term. I don't think that he should come back okay. for another term. Okay. Uh, I want to get. We'll go into a deep dive on that, but I want to get that baseline established. Alan Moore, uh, you have been a staffer. You have been, served as a staff director, I believe, on a couple of committees. Um, one committee. Is, yep. is, is, uh, on one committee. I apologize, but for several years, if I'm not mistaken, it, yep. you you have been around Washington and the Washington Power Circle enough. Are you more surprised that this is now coming to light, or are you more surprised that it has taken this long for this deep dark secret inside the Beltway to come to come up to the surface? You know, it's a, it's a, that's an interesting question. I, I think I'm a little surprised that it took this long. And the reason is that that when uh, former Senator Bob Packwood um, had to resign in disgrace, um, the, the, the sins he committed were very much like uh, the sins of the alleged sins of John Conyers, uh, of Al Franken. Now, let, let me say, I completely agree with Charmola about all of this, though, and I don't think that that it, at this point in time that Al Franken uh, should step down. For that matter, I don't think that Conyers should. The allegations against Conyers are more numerous and more serious. Um, so it's hard to see how he survives, um, assuming – what people are saying about him are proved to be true. He's also got the troubling uh, issue of $27,000 paid uh, to settle a complaint from a person who has gone unnamed, the details of which aren't known. There's also something in the neighborhood of $17 million that were paid out of a, a special treasury account um, to people who've raised complaints in the Congress, not necessarily uh, sexual assault. It could be other kinds of, of uh, 
personnel abuse. But uh, some of those could be Conyers, too. I'm not saying they are. They just could be. So I, I don't think we're done hearing about about Conyers. For, for Franken's uh, future, he has to hope that more stuff doesn't come out um uh, about him so that we get a sense of a pattern or or a charge that's more serious um not that not that the charges are unserious but you know the, the, this is this question we talked a little bit about last time what what is a capital offense what what do you have to do to to disqualify yourself uh, from serving and most of us i think we're in agreement right that the that the credible, credible pedophile accusations against uh, Roy Moore were disqualifying. He should get out of the race. He doesn't agree. Right. The president appears not to agree. Some of the people around the president appear not to agree, but I think we all, we all pretty much agreed. Back to your question in Packwood. So Packwood was, was, uh, well, I mean, Packwood, I mean, Packwood, pe- pe- people said that Packwood, Packwood did it himself. Uh, Packwood, this happened outside of Congress. What Packwood did was, was was at an airport in Minneapolis, correct? No, 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 no. You're no. <laughs> sorry. You're, you're you're confusing Packwood. Packwood is the one who gave un, unwanted uh, embraces and kisses to about a dozen women over a period you're of thinking, years. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. So, Justin, you're, you're thinking of Larry you're, Craig. You're thinking of Larry. Yeah. The wide stance. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. My bad. Yeah. Right. No, that's okay. So Bob Packwood from Oregon, who was a serious champion, women's rights, um, uh, of abortion rights, um, much beloved by, um, by the, 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 the feminist movement, um, and with great pride in separating himself from his party, um, had, had a, had a, a record in that regard, um, but he had this tendency that played out in numerous times with women, some of whom were basically strangers to him. So there were a f- these tended not to be staff; they tended to be visitors to his office, a couple of lobbyists, one or two reporters, where he would say goodbye and kiss him full on the mouth and get his tongue involved. I mean, just weird, strange stuff that that most of us don't comprehend um as a behavior that might somebody might find attractive um and uh but not unlike the incident that that al franken was accused of uh admittedly before he was in office and in the packwood case uh all of his victims uh the the, the, right. the, the alleged uh, occurrences occurred while he was in office. It seemed so, to me that that was the time for accusations against others to come forward, and right they didn't. Um, but but uh, you know it was brewing out there, and and yeah. and subsequent to that, Bill Clinton was president, and was involved and, in a number of even more we're gonna, serious. We're, we're going to touch on that. We're going to touch on that in a second, Alan, but I, I want to go to Admiral Ken real quick because Admiral Ken, you know, what, what, what I think is striking is that when, uh, you know, we're, we're hearing about all of this inappropriate behavior 
inside Congress. Uh, but we've this is not something unnew to the senior leadership and the flag corps in the Navy or the senior leadership in DOD. Uh, you know, you in the Navy had tailhook. You in the Navy had uh, several instances of uh, either sexual misconduct or sexual harassment or inappropriate behavior in front of women. Uh, is it do you feel a little slighted the fact that you know the DOD and the services has been the target of all these investigations and all the scrutiny when there seems to be a almost a a, a a hypocrisy coming down from Congress when they were nailing you guys to the wall? Oh, oh, the hypocrisy between the rest of the government and DOD. Um, that 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 is a uh, a list that would take up several several volumes. So I won't even I won't even touch that. I think the biggest difference between DOD and I will speak specifically about the Navy compared to the other industries of which we have seen a a a a, a, a great number of examples of of inappropriate behavior uh, on the part of men in uh, senior positions is that well we prosecute. And we find, and we do so publicly, and we end careers. You know, an ethics an ethics violation. Yeah, that's cute. I mean, I'm I'm I, I, I'm looking at this whole thing with with Al Franken and John Conyers and even uh, the president, and I'm I'm scratching my head and I, and I'm not laughing because I find humor. I'm laughing because I find sadness. Uh, if if this were to happen uh, to uh, a senior Navy officer. Uh, the first thing happens is one they get relieved of duty right then and there. Then the investigation goes forward. If found guilty, then uh, there could be there could be jail time. I mean, the Uniform Code of uh, Military Justice is is pretty uh, pretty demanding uh, in what it requires of people uh, to to follow it. Um, you, you didn't ask me, but I, I'll I'll go ahead and volunteer my opinion. Um, I think the difference between Al Franken and John Conyers, quite frankly, uh, is the level of contrition. Um, I, I did not, I did not see or or detect um, one moment of hesitation on Al Franken's part with regard to owning what he'd done, apologizing for it profusely, and um, uh, and I've not seen that on the part of anyone else that's been in the news of late. Uh, and, and as I put on Twitter this morning, uh, when um, um, the the president of Virgin Virgin Airlines, I can't remember his name right now, Richard Branson, as I put on the on on Twitter this morning, the hits just keep on coming, and I think they will continue to keep on coming because uh, I will I will differ with you. This is not a problem with um, with government. This is not a problem with the military. Uh, which is a subset of government. This is not a problem with with uh, retail or Hollywood. This is a problem overall, and this is what happens when people uh, grow up without being taught that everybody, regardless of their gender or their race, is worthy of your respect. And the minute that you come into a professional environment and you start violating that, um, then you should expect at some point to be called on the carpet for it. I am sorry, I'm really sorry that even now the women that have accused Judge Roy Moore of his um, his misdeeds are, are, are falling under the kind of, I would call, vicious, vicious attacks 
on the on the people on the people who are, who are trying to 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 uh, justify the fact that they're okay at some level with this guy asking out 14-year-old girls when he's in his 30s including one of his gentle, one of his one of his big supporters who tried to justify it with Ringo Starr's song uh, 14 are you kidding me it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous and it's it's shameful Sharma, let me let me ask you a question and and I want to be careful on how I phrase this hmm. um but hearing everything that's being said right now you know we have you know we we've also seen a situation where uh and and, I, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll tie this in together in a second but we saw a situation that was revealed over the past 24 hours where a very right-wing far alt-right media group called project veritas which has had questionable uh, tactics before, tried doing a sting operation on the Washington Post by having a woman go to the Washington Post and accuse Roy Moore of things that were completely uh, unsubstantiated. Now, the good news is that the Washington Post uh, did their background checks and found out that this woman was a fraud and caught her in the act. Uh, But where I'm tying this in is are we balancing a tight line between the you know re- the revelation of all of these revelations just coming at such a fast and furious pace? Are there innocent people that could get hurt where there could be selfish motives? Are we doing? Is there a potential we could do damage to the issue if? we go too far with it. Do you see what I'm saying with this? And I'm, and I'm trying to be as delicate as I can because I don't want to seem like I'm, you know, confirming I, or, or promoting this. Do you, you see where I'm going with this, Charlotte? I, I, I see what you're saying, Justin. And I, I find this argument a, a little, uh, I find that sort of, you know, line of argument a little frustrating sometimes because I think it really, you know, yes, I, I can see from, you know, I think the male perspective, and I'm, I hate to break this down so bluntly, but I think that, you know, this is a line of argument that frequently comes from men saying, you know, aren't we opening the door to, you know, when you're just judging people in the court of opinion, we're opening the door to false accusations and the the um, the idea that, you know, some people can be falsely accused and have a lot of reputational it's, it's damage normal, when nothing, normal, when nothing happens. And, normal, and, yeah, Lee? Let me just interrupt real quick, Sharon, because I, I do want to say this. Is it, I, I am not taking that position. I'm just doing that as, you know, to cover all sides of the argument. You know, we try and do that on this show. But I think that, you know, what, the question you raise does sort of fall into that line of, of reasoning. Uh, and I don't think it's an illegitimate question, but I, I want to push back on that because I think that that frequently comes – that I, I've found in the past that that line of, of argument uh, frequently comes from from a male perspective, and I don't think that's incorrect, but I think that that also somewhat minimizes the um, the experience, not the experience, but it minimizes in some way the effort that it takes for a true survivor of sexual assault or harassment or any sort of inappropriate behavior to really come forward and tell their story because the truth is that that woman or that victim I shouldn't just say they're always women but that victim is putting a lot more on the line than the person that they're accusing Um, their credibility immediately becomes 
become subject to question and their personal life and anything about them, especially, you know, the higher profile that the person they accuse is, they get torn to shreds. There's a reason that so many people are still coming forward about this stuff off the record, right? Because they know that their professional reputation, their personal reputation, their online reputation is suddenly going to be completely tied up in this allegation and that, you know, they're going to be linked to this, you know, the top Google search for them for the rest of their lives will likely be so-and-so accuses person X of sexual impropriety. And I think that it takes a great act of courage to, to think about that and be willing to do it anyway. So I think that the sort of risk that people talk about of a, the risk to making a false accusation is so great that I think that that inherently minimizes the risk of that happening. That being said, going back to the, the Project Veritas sting, when you read the Washington Post account, it's like a parade of incompetence. I mean, yeah. the sort of, the level of kind of circus act that Project Veritas was, was running in, in creating that sort of false sting was, was laughable. It was almost like they were trying to get caught. It was so yeah. incredibly poorly done. Alan Moore, you know, we, we've heard a lot about how Congress dealt with the Anita Hill situation during the confirmation of now Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Is, is that a fair accusation against the Senate? Did the Senate botch that, or was there more that they could have done, or was did they take due process in that whole in that whole situation? Well, <laughs> that one was a huge, disastrous mess for multiple reasons. First well, let me ask this question being, before you go. Before you go on, yeah. Alan, let me just ask this question: Should that have been a red flag? that this could be a problem downstream? Well, content of the accusation <clears throat> from one person was materially different than the multiple accusations uh, of aggressive physical behavior that we see in these other cases. That's why I push back on this moral equivalence question. That's not to say that the Senate handled it uh, as well as it might have. I noticed that uh, Anita Hill in the last week or two and some women from the, who were in the Congress at the time were furious at the way Joe Biden handled it. He was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which handled the hearing. But the Senate was boxed in on that occasion, whether it should have been or not it's a different, is, is an interesting question. Boxed in because a vote was scheduled for the Thomas confirmation. Anita Hill emerged and appeared, and a decision was made with, with uh, then-judge, now Justice Thomas's uh, agreement to wait, for, wait one week to postpone an already locked-in vote for a week, so there would be time for a hearing. And Anita Hill appeared. Many questions were raised. Uh, a panel of 12 women who knew Thomas professionally 
for his entire Washington career also appeared. People forget their testimony and what they said and their experiences with him and so on. It was, and and as we know, in most of these cases of bad, of men behaving badly, there's a pattern and the women know it. Um, That was simply, and we don't need to go beyond it in my judgment. I know a lot about this. He's a friend of mine. As you know, I was involved in all of that, wrote about it, appeared about it at the time. Um, uh, The women, basically the women who knew them both believed him. Does that mean that she was lying? We'll never know, uh, or, or we, we, we can't know. But this pattern was very different than what even then was known and what it, since then is generally known about men behaving badly. Um, so what, they, are serial, me... they are serial bad actors. And, and so, right. so I, I mean, I, I push back. I think the Bob Packwood, the Senator Packwood uh, – episode, which came about a year or two after Thomas, was much more uh, significant for what was going on in the country and what was being ignored and swept under the, under the rug and needed to emerge. That is not to say that, that the Anita Hill accusations were meaningless, um, that, that, that dirty talk, if you will, made uh, women... Uh, existed in the workplace and made women very uncomfortable and made it made it hard to work. That is a kind of sexual harassment that is serious and real and insidious. Um, it's not. It's not touching. It's not groping. It's not exposing oneself. So I'm just saying. You know, we talked about this last week. What's the capital offense? Right. And what what are lesser offenses and what kind of punishment is appropriate in such cases? My guess is that right. Al Franken will stay in the Senate, that there won't be some horrible pattern of, oh, my God, there were 10 other people who with whom he, he right. did, he did uh, the same stuff. The Ethics Committee, notwithstanding <laughs> Ken's, la- Ken's la- lack of uh, uh, enthusiasm about the process in the Ethics Committee, the Ethics Committee investigation brought down Bob Packwood. He okay. felt compelled to resign as a result Alan, of the Ethics Alan, Committee investigation. Alan, hold, hold on real quick because I, I, I want to give Sharma a chance to, to respond to a couple of points. Sharma, it sounds like you want to chime in real quick because I do want to go back to the Ethics Committee question in a second, Alan. Sharma, did you want to chime in? Yeah, well, I wanted to follow up on a point that Alan was making, which is why now, right? Because Alan's right, you know, um, generally, and and although I won't say exclusively, generally when men are, you know, when these things come out that, you know, one person is victimized, yes, there's there's not usually just one victim. There's often a a parade of them. Um, And we saw, you know, with Bob Packwood, it was some 20 women, I think, and then even Two years ago, we had the Bill Cosby revelations, which were, I mean, he's not a politician, but he was an incredibly well-known figure, was sort of a, had political clout and opinions, and, you know, a beloved figure, and those revelations were, I think, just as shocking and deeply disturbing as the ones about Harvey Weinstein. And so the question is, why is it this, because it can't just be the number of women, because I think the number of women that came out for Cosby were equal to the number of women that came out for Weinstein. But why is it that this kind of Harvey Weinstein revelation 
kicked off this true slew in a way we've never seen before of allegations from not just not just entertainment, but the news media we've seen with Charlie Rose and Glenn Thrush, and you know that's also rippled its way into politics. I'm, I can't imagine that the financial world and the legal world and a bunch of other professions, engineering, the tech world, will be very far behind. But yeah, well, I, think I mean, it, it, the tech worse. I one would say that the tech world's already been affected. The revelation about Sir Richard Branson uh, comes as a surprise to many people in in industry and business. Um, but let me do this. Let's take a quick break. We're going to take a, t- a quick two-minute break. When we come back, we're going to continue this discussion because I, I think that this is a discussion uh, that's being had, but I don't think it's being had at a level that, you know, it, it's the talking heads talking around it. They're not talking about it. And I don't think – and I, and I want to touch on in the next segment something for you all to think about. I want to talk about, okay, we're here how do we unscrew this? How do we fix this problem? And we'll talk about that when we come back. Uh, this is uh, Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. We will be back in two minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us.
foolish to start For that old feeling is still in my segment of the best political talk show you've never heard of in this backroom politics live on blog talk radio uh, we're going to continue our discussion about dc's uh harassment problem uh let me start off with admiral ken first of all admiral ken when when we look at uh the situation with donald trump and then we also look back at the situation with uh then president bill clinton uh, you know, did did Bill Clinton get a legitimate pass for inappropriate behavior? Was the punishment uh, enough on Bill Clinton? And are we having a double standard between what Bill Clinton did and what we heard on the Access Hollywood tapes with Billy Bush on Donald Trump? So, I, one, I can't ever imagine um, – one, um, I guess, having the, the the mindset that would make me think that it was okay for me to you know conduct the kind of behavior that Bill Clinton was accused in, and I think uh, later confirmed to uh, behave uh, uh, conducted. So that's the first thing. Uh, likewise, I can't imagine um, a, a a public airing of my dirty laundry. Uh, to the scale that um, that the Clintons uh, went through, um, so I guess from a legal perspective, did did he get his just his just desserts? Maybe not, but from a reputation perspective, I think he paid a terrible price, and I think he and his family will be bearing that price for a long time to come. Um, uh, did Don, is Donald Trump getting a double standard? Yeah, I, I think he is. Um, I think that. Um, in any other political year, hell, any other politician um, had the Access Hollywood tape uh, come uh, come to light, uh, they would be done. End of story. Stick a fork in them. You know, uh, th- th- that's it. But you know, one of the things that um, that I've seen uh, or heard, and I, and I truly believe, is that um, that some of the actions, and I hope we talk about them later in the show, that the president, you know, is 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 conducting is lowering the bar and um, creating a, a dynamic to where we're not expecting the best of our leaders. That said, go back to the Bill Clinton uh, issue. Okay, so we, we, impeached, we impeached him. He didn't remove him from office, but he was impeached. And so now um, but we've got he, another president. I mean, impeachment, all impeachment is, is just, you know, answering the allegations he you was know what? Convicted of any I, 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 I hear what you're saying, but I, I'm, I'm explaining, to, explaining it to you from the perspective of, of, uh, of Joe the plumber, if you will, uh, or 
you know, my, my, my relatives that we're going to talk about down in Alabama here in a few minutes, he was impeached. Yeah, it was an airing. It was, it was, it was an, a, an allegation, but it was still – it was huge. It was big. It was on the news 24 hours. I mean everybody was talking about it, kind of like we were talking about what's going on with Al Franken and the rest of these jokers. And I guess the point that I'm making here is that that activity has lowered the bar to where now uh, a presidential candidate was accused of it and was still allowed to carry on his, his campaign, and all he had to say was, I didn't do it, and he got elected when any other candidate you know, would have would have, would have, would have, it would have been their, their, uh, their, their chances. So, Sean, is there double, you, oh, I'm sorry. Is, hold on. Is there is there a double standard? A- absolutely, there is. But you know, I think double standards are you know are probably you know the the basis of of all these sexual harassment allegations. You got one standard of activity uh, that you would conduct um, um, in a um, in a you know for, for for public consumption, and you've got what these guys are doing behind closed doors when they think they're not going to get caught. That's it's part of being. Sean, do you agree? Sadly. I agree with absolutely everything Admiral Ken said. The only thing I was just going to push back on is that Donald Trump didn't even – well, now he's denying it, but at the time he didn't even say I didn't do it. He said, yeah, I said it, but it doesn't really matter. Right? Locker yeah. room talk. Who Good cares? Point. Good Everyone point. does it. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, 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 the degree on, of yeah, double standards – Hold oh, on, Alan. Sorry. Go ahead, Charmel. Yeah, yeah, I will. I'm just saying don't change subjects yet. Yep. The degree yeah, of double not, standards not. to which Donald Trump is subject to just are, I think, set some sort of Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> the the allegations coming out now from the Russia scandal about emails and private servers and you know divulging of confidential information that enough is, you know, enough to set any Hillary supporter's hair on fire. But it's um, so I think when you talk about Donald Trump and double standards, the the sort of amount of double standards and to Ken's point, the low, the the amount that he's lowered the bar are so exceptional that I think you can't, well, yes, it is very tempting to point to his foibles and his flaws as further proof of the issues. I don't think that you can hold him up as, I, I hope to God you can't hold him up as the rule. He's got to be the exception. Somehow he is so Teflon that he slides, all of this stuff slides off of him. Right. Alan Moore, go ahead. Yeah, so I I, I basically agree with with, with Ken and Sharma. I just, I wanted to 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 well, I think correct just a couple of, of things. President Trump, when he was a candidate, never admitted to having done these things that he was bragging about. He bragged about it, then he denied ever having done it, and then when women came forward he said they're liars and I'm gonna sue them. So he denied it. What what he did not what he did apologize for publicly at the time was for saying something that he argued also happened to be untrue. He he attributed it to to locker room talk, to boy talk, causing all of us who'd ever spent any time in a locker room to say, nah, you know, that's not how locker room talk works, guys. Sorry. Amen. Um, Amen. But 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 uh <laughs> but he and, and, and let me just also say it's it's so rare that I get a chance to raise any question of doubt that's sort of on his behalf that I want to do that. These reports in the last couple of days that he's that he's saying that the tape was fake. Those are two different reports. One was attributable, was attributed to 
a senator who sometime back was told by the president that he thought maybe the tape was fake. The president's never said this publicly. And then more recently, a staff person in the White House was apparently told, yeah, we think that's a fake. This isn't the president going out tweeting or uh, speaking and saying, you know something, <laughs> that was a fake. And even, even Sarah Sanders, uh, uh, of whom I'm not a big fan, I'll admit, said the president has already apologized for what was said on the tape. Next question. So, so let's not trash him for denying the authenticity of the tape for, on the basis of two kind of weird uh, reports. Double standard for this president? You bet your life there's a double standard, and that's what is so scary. But I think what's interesting is it, it, the, 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 the opinion expressed by the current governor of Alabama, uh, Governor Ivey, a woman, who said regarding Judge Moore, I believe the women, but I'm still going to vote for Judge Moore because I think it's so important in America that we have a working majority among Republicans for Supreme Court openings and other major decisions. That's the telling one for me. There are people who are in, in Moore's camp who say they're all liars it's all some made-up thing by the Washington Post. It's the elite media. They're lying, 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 lying. Um, and then a few of them say, well, well, you know, some of us dated little young girls. Well, no problem. But, but, but there's a whole group down there who say lies, lies, lies. And then there's a whole group who say get more out of there no matter what. Um, and uh, that's a smaller group. Well, that has been a smaller group. And then there's this great group in the middle who are really troubled by these accusations tend to believe the women. And if they're paying attention, they realize this wasn't some coordinated effort. These were unconnected in time and space and place and so on. And that's why the Mitch McConnell's of the world and many Republicans have said, Hey, I believe the women, or I see no reason not to believe the women. Um, but, okay, gonna, but, but Alan, in some of these Alan, cases, I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote for him anyway, and that's I think what happened right, with Alan, Trump. I think a lot of people thought Trump probably did this stuff. These women are probably not lying. But if the choice is between Trump and Clinton, I'll take Trump, warts and all, rather than than Clinton. They didn't like the and that's choice. exactly what Trump has said regarding Roy Moore as well. Yeah, well, yeah, but and, and, and here's the other problem. No, no, but here's the other problem with this, though, is is that people like Mitch McConnell, uh, people like uh, you know anybody in the Senate that has said we believe the women, if if they do not take definitive and decisive action uh, as far as not seating Roy Moore if he's elected as well as getting the ethics committee in the Senate and the ethics committee, you know, having Mitch McConnell in the Senate get the ethics committee spun up, having Paul Ryan in the House get the ethics committee spun up. There has to be, uh, there has to be some atonement for these sins 
and it's got to well, be defended. So hang, on, because- hang on, hang on, hang on. Justin, Justin, the ethics committee in the Senate has the jurisdiction of the Senate. The, the, the ethics committee of the House has the jurisdiction of the House. If Roy right. Moore is, should be elected, then that's one but question. But when you're saying, no, no, what, but, but what me, do you expect finish, these guys to do about up. somebody who's lawfully elected to office? It's, no, it's a, 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 not, let a let me, terrible, terrible dilemma. They don't not want the guy. Alan, let me, not so. Hold on. Let, let me finish my thought, though, Alan. What I'm saying is this really has put D.C. and Congress – in a really, really awkward position. Because if there is not understanding that the Senate is in control of the Senate, the House is in control of the House, the Ethics Committee is in both jurisdictions, I get that. But what happens is unless if 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 Roy Moore shows up for seating in the US Senate and Mitch McConnell refuses to seat him, then No 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 it doesn't work like that, Justin. He doesn't have the power to not seat. The Senate has the power to not seat. Mitch, Mitch McConnell has – okay, let me rephrase. If the Senate chooses not to seat Roy Moore, then there is a bigger problem because if they do not seat Roy Moore, who is duly elected – if he's elected in two weeks, if he's elected and they do not seat him and there is no – ethics committee that is looking at everybody regardless of party of all the accusations coming from inside Congress, that is going to create such a problem for Congress for them to answer to this is a bigger problem I think that anybody's looking at because you know, how do you differentiate not seating Roy Moore and not going after people like Al Franken or any Republican that might be accused. The ethics committee is investigating Al Franken. Al Franken asked for the investigation. Al Franken is cooperating in the investigation. Conyers is in the same position on the House side, probably with less enthusiasm than, than Franken, because I think Conyers, my hunch is, hunch, 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 is that Conyers has got more to hide than Al Franken does. But Hmm. We'll, you know, we'll let that sort out. The ethics committee in the House will look at Conyers. The ethics committee in the Senate will look at Franken and any other senator against whom any accusations should come forward. That's that's one of the things they do. Um, Roy, Roy Moore, <laughs> it, it's it's not Mitch McConnell who seats Roy Moore. It's frank, frankly, it's the people of Alabama who elect him, and then if the Senate as a whole should decide, and I think it takes a two-thirds vote, um, uh, should decide not to seat him. That's a very big deal, especially if it comes directly on the heels of a guy who's elected about whom these accusations is known and part of their knowledge. Um, it, it, it's, it's not a simple matter of saying, we don't like the guy. We don't want to be associated with the guy. Therefore, we're not going to seat him. It, it's a, it, it is a, a, a procedure that is so rare that there's not much precedent, and people are trying to figure it out. The, the Senate was on the verge of expelling Bob Packwood. That was what, what, what was moving forward in that regard, and that was behavior committed while he was a sitting senator, and uh, and he looked at the uh, the tea leaves and decided, 
I'm going to spare myself, my family, and my colleagues uh, that ugliness, and I'm going to fall on my sword here. Um, and he did. Um, Roy Moore is a different matter. He's denying everything, taking a page from the president's book. Deny, deny, deny. Now, there's it's a difference between uh, groping. I'm not saying it's great, but but pedophile is its own particular brand of heinous uh, uh, criminal disgust. Um, that is not to forgive um, crimes against uh, against uh, uh, grown-up uh, women at all, but it it's a whole other layer of of hideousness. Um, and I'm guessing that if he should come, if he should be seated, he may well be immediately subject to ethics committee uh, questions, even just, just the way Al Franken does, because they're going to look at stuff that Franken did before he was a Senator. And that's the, what, what would be the case in Roy Moore's case. They're not talking about that yet. I think there's still sort of the, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, what do we do? And then let's see what happens in this election. As we know, there's a, a, a Republican alternative stepped up, a retired Army colonel, to be a write-in candidate. Who knows what the outcome of this whole thing is going to be? Who knows if women are going to vote? Who knows if, if, uh, if African-Americans are going to vote? Who's, who knows if people are going to vote, period? There's some people who may just say, I'm disgusted, I'm not going to vote. So the outcome is very, very much up in the air. But, boy... The, 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 the leadership in the Senate, probably both Republican and, 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 and Democrat, but particularly the Republicans, they don't want to have to deal with this issue. It's just uh, uh, it's fraught with uh, uh, with with bad outcomes, um, uh, no matter what. And and uh, the unfortunately, thing for the Democrats is that because of, of Al Franken in the Senate and, and John Conyers in the House, right. I'm not equating right. at all the sins of the allegations against well, them. They're all mixed. They're all different. Uh, makes sure. muddies the partisan waters here. Right. Charmel, let me go to you. And, and I, I want to ask this from both as a female in the political circles but also from a legal standpoint, let me start with as a, as a female in the political circles, how do we fix this? Oh, well, I mean, look, it's, again, I've, I've said this numerous times and I'll say it again, this is not limited to political circles. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is an everywhere problem. This is, it, it has nothing to do with industry and it has everything to do with who's got the power and what and how they how they feel about people who not and it, it really I think has less to do with people's gender you know or or their race or their nationality but how they feel and their attitudes towards people with less power right. and so, sometimes right sometimes it is motivated by those other other categories sometimes you know partners at law firms harass other partners at law firms but much, much more often, it is really about how people act towards the people who have less power, that, power than them in, in that dynamic. And I think that that's, and again, that's not limited to sexual harassment. That's, you can, you can uh, um, apply that dynamic to people who are mean to waiters at restaurants. It's, it's, a similar, it's a similar power trip with a different result. And so I think that okay. this, is not, 
this is not the best answer, I think, if you're talking about how do we prevent harassment from happening, that is a much, much broader question that goes to, I think as Ken pointed out earlier, how we raise our children, how we, how we as a society impart values to people and really, and really keep emphasizing the fact that just because you have more power than someone else or you have more leverage somewhere doesn't mean that you can act in an uncivil way. That does not give you, that does not give you the right or the justification for acting in an uncivil, unrespectful way. But if your question is, what kind of sta- what kind of procedures can we put in to to when this does happen to redress the situation fairly and you know protect these alleged victims from being victimized mm-hmm. again or being retaliated against by the people who abuse them? That's a very different story, right? Because that starts, I think, again, and I, but again, I think that those values start at the top, and you need to really implement an incredibly strict system of governance. And again, you're not just seeing this in Congress. This debate has been going on a long time with campus sexual assault when, you know, right. when a, a student accuses a fellow student of some sort of sexual misconduct. Colleges have come under a lot of fire for the same system of because we model our system after the legal due process after legal due process and, you know, criminal procedure, we are accused of protecting the alleged perpetrator versus protecting the alleged victim. And so we need to we need to first do a real assessment of whether or not we need to hold allegations in which the 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 alleged victim is not asking for a criminal conviction. She's not asking or or really any sort of punishment for for the perpetrator except for except asking for herself to be protected against this person and their future advances and right. asking for her career or her livelihood to be protected against this person. And so I think we need to, the first shift needs to be not modeling our, not modeling these systems of protection, these systems of reporting after the criminal justice system, because I think that's where a lot of victims, that's what prevents or precludes a lot of victims right. of this behavior from coming forward because they don't want to go through that burden. All right. they want to do is be well, protected. Justin? Yeah, go ahead, Admiral Ken. So I think it's, 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 it's uh, the one thing I think that uh, is lending to um, the, your observation that, uh, that the pundits and reporters and the talking heads uh, are doing and talking around the subject versus talking about the subject. Um, I think that has to do a lot with the fact that, one, um, this is a problem that is endemic to our society. Uh, it is not a problem that's only um, uh, occupied by men. It's also occupied by women, as I'll share with you here in a moment. And the problem is that for the most part, most of the conversations, especially those those folks in Alabama uh, speaking out most uh, vocally and uh, critically about the women who've come forward to uh, air their complaints about Judge Roy Moore, they're they're talking about these things from a philosophical perspective. What would I do if I were in this position? I wouldn't wait for this particular thing to happen. Why wait until now? And I, I think, quite frankly, you know, if until you've been in a situation like that, your your ability to figure out what you would do versus what you wouldn't do, you just don't know. It's like being in a firefight. 
you have no idea what you're going to do, even when you've got the highest level of training, uh, what you're going to do when that situation happens until you're there. In my own particular situation, at one point in my career, I was doing some independent duty, and I was invited to my boss's house for a party. When I got there, I found that the only person there was the boss, and she was expecting to have a different kind of party than the one I was anticipating. Um, I declined the opportunity, but you can just about imagine that the next few months of my time in that assignment were difficult at best. And so this is not a problem that, that's solely occupied by men. It's, not, it's a problem occupied by people in power who don't have respect for other people. It's that simple. And the folks that are talking about it, they don't come at it from that perspective, by and large. Well, I want to let – I'm actually just going to let that be the last one. Both Ken and Sharmal, I think, have made this really important point. It, it's, it's about power and the abuse right. of power. It tends to be men using it against women. It can be right. women against men. It can be men against other men. It can be young against old. It can be old against young. But it's all about the power um, and right. – uh, and I, to, to a change, we need a lot more sunshine on the problem. We need to humiliate the perpetrator, not just in government or in the military or in the corporate workspace or in the restaurant or in any right. place around the country where there's a power imbalance. We, we've got to change the way people think, and there have to be consequences for the perpetrator – for the bad behavior right now, it's the that's, poor victim that, that's been, who has to but, suffer but now, through Alan, say, the advances, Alan, but also is most at risk of being harmed. And I, Alan, I agree I'm with say Alan. That, well, I, I was going to say that you know, Alan, that, that that I absolutely agree with you. The problem is the actions of particularly Washington D.C. have not led to that conclusion. There has not been a lot of consequences as we're starting to see sunshine on these payouts from Congress, as we're starting to see from these payouts from uh, large media moguls, captains of industry. Uh, hopefully, I, I hope you're right. This is absolutely a power play. This is absolutely uh, people in positions of power that not only don't have respect, but think that there are that they are above the actual mores and above the actual respectful workplaces that they control. It's the bottom line. And I think just uh, we're just do, one silver yeah, lining that's coming word, out of this. Real quick. One what silver lining that? that's come out of this is I think that you've seen a real increase in the credibility of women's statements. I, you know, Historically, there is a credibility gap between when a woman says something and a man says something. And I think finally we've seen that, that this credibility gap, I hope, at least in this context, is shrinking and that suddenly you – know, I, I, I can't describe to you what a tectonic shift right. it is for when someone like Mitch McConnell says, I believe the women. I, I, I absolutely and hope I think you're that right. That's that's the first right. step that we right. that we've set upon, and I'm, and that makes me very happy and gives me hope for well, the future. That's good. That is a good point. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about the other big news here in Washington. All eyes on the Capitol. Not that it hasn't been all this week, anyway. Uh, <laughs> the GOP tax bill comes up for key votes, including a vote possibly. 
We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how real this thing is, the pros and cons. We're going to talk about the tax bill. When we come back, this is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio from Washington, D.C. We will be back in three minutes. Stay with us. show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics Live from Washington, D.C. and New York City. This is uh, our opportunity to go into our second hour and talk about the tax bill that's coming up. For those who do not know, the one major piece of legislation that President Trump hopes that he can get through before the end of the year is this GOP tax reform bill that, quite frankly, not all the GOP is on board with. 
Uh, it is come back from the congr- uh, the uh, CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, that in fact this is more of a tax reform break for powerful millionaires than it is for the working middle class. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of information, a lot of misinformation going around. Let's start with our fact checker, Alan Moore. Alan, what's the reality on the current GOP tax bill? We're hearing stories that, you know, if you make $100,000, which if you live in Topeka, Kansas, that's living high on the hog. Uh, If you you make over $100,000, you're not going to be paying any less taxes. Yeah, that okay. So there's a bunch of pieces to this. The, the the main objective of this tax reform bill, which we which gets lost, is to reform corporate taxation. About three fourths of the 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 revenue uh, loss associated with this bill would go to uh, to to businesses. Um, uh, that doesn't mean that that that's what individuals are most interested in. They're going to want to say, what happens to my taxes? But, but the whole effort here is to build on the, 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 the notion that the U.S. corporate tax system is one of the higher tax systems in the developed world. Not as much higher as it appears in some of the conversation, but somewhat higher. So the notion is, in an internationally competitive marketplace, we need our tax system to be to be more big business, more business friendly. Let's figure out how a way to simplify and lower these rates and make ourselves more competitive. And also, in the doing, bring back a couple of trillion—that's with a T, uh, a TR—trillion dollars in U.S. corporate profits that are parked overseas in order to postpone, if not avoid permanently, the, the taxes to which they would be subject in the United States. So if you can offer a special temporary deal for that money, you might be able to get it back to America, where arguably it might be invested here in, uh, in new jobs, in better paying jobs, etc. So, so it really is about corporate taxes, not individual taxes. Now, It's also about individual taxes. One of the problems with a tax bill is if you're going to give tax cuts, you tend to give them to people who actually pay taxes. Now, almost half of America doesn't pay any federal income tax. They pay state taxes. They pay sales taxes. They pay Social Security taxes, but they don't pay federal income taxes. So it shouldn't be a surprise that when you're you're talking about the federal tax system – that there's not a there's not a huge tax cut, if you will, to people who aren't paying taxes in the first place. We have a bunch of refundable tax credits where people who work at the lower end actually get checks from the government to to augment uh, their earnings and offset some of what they pay to, to Social Security. <laughs> with regard, and I got lots of problems with this tax bill. Don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to, you know, sort of give the the, the big picture, which we tend, which doesn't tend to get talked about very much, and we don't, and we tend to forget about the latest CBO estimate. The latest CBO. Let me just say something about the latest CBO estimate. The re, it, it, it gave two estimates. It said, what is the impact over the next eight to ten years 
of these different income categories if we eliminate the Obamacare mandate requiring everybody to buy uh, health insurance, whether they want it or not, or the tax bill without that provision. And the, 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 the most troubling, uh, the most dramatic numbers about harm to lower income folks all is associated with eliminating the Obamacare mandate. That's why people in the 30 to 40 to 50 to $60,000 range um, are hit because not everyone, of course, but, but it's, that's all about the Obamacare mandate. If you look at the second set of numbers that CBO put together, where they assume that, that the Obamacare mandate is not touched and it's left alone, the impact at those lower ends is totally different. Um, and, and you, you don't have uh, that hit. You don't have the hit until 2025, 2026, when all these cuts would expire uh, under the bizarre rules that allow a simple 50 vote majority to pass this bill, you can't have budget deficits outside of a 10 year window of when you pass the bill. So what they've done before and are proposing now is we're going to pay pass some tax cuts for individuals and they're going to expire in 10 years. We think and hope and believe that they will be, extended at that time, but we can't guarantee it without running afoul of the rules that allow us to pass this bill by a mere 50 votes. It's complicated. It's weird. It's counterintuitive. And people don't want to look at, 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 at that. I'm not blaming them. I'm just explain, <laughs> explaining so, it. Alan, uh, having me, said that, I'll this, be surprised if they question, get the vote. Because one of the things I want to touch on is the fact that, you know, there seems to be a lot of, you know, fog of war when it comes to what exactly this tax bill does. If you listen to the tweets or if you watch the tweets and you listen to what's coming out of the White House, this is a tax break for the middle class. More money will go into the pockets of those who make less than $100,000 a year. If you listen to the Democrats, it is a tax break for only the billionaires that run some of America's largest businesses. It's a corporate tax cut, not a middle-class tax break. Uh, it would close some of the loopholes. It seems to me that there is a lot of bad messaging coming from both sides to garner either support for or support against this tax bill is, is this a problem for the white house is it a problem for mitch mcconnell and the leadership in the senate and paul ryan in the house or is this uh you know or, or, or is this not really a problem at all are you directing your question in general or to me or no do you Al, i want to go to you alan first and then go around the table yeah okay so so <laughs> no it it, it, it it is it is a balancing act that that uh, right now Senate Republicans are 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 try, trying to figure out because the 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 half a dozen seven or eight uh, Republicans who who have publicly expressed real reservations about the bill have different kinds of reservations. You've got 
Ron Johnson uh, from Wisconsin and uh, Langford, I think is his name, from Oklahoma. Jim Langford said, from Oklahoma, right. We need more tax cuts for smaller businesses who operate as partnerships or limited liability corporations, which is how most companies in America actually operate. Most small businesses don't incorporate, but they structure themselves differently and they pay taxes. It basically, uh, they, they, they pass through the business activity and they pay personal income taxes on that income. Those guys right now are, are, are up at, in the, at the 39.6% rate, uh, higher than the current corporate rate. And if you lower the corporate rate, those guys are saying, wait, lower our taxes too. But they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They want to be, they just want to pay lower taxes and, and, and take advantage of, of the current system. That part is really complicated, but that's where Ron Johnson, Langford, and probably a few others are saying, you need to make further cuts for these smaller businesses. Then you got the, the Bob Corkers, uh, Jeff Flakes, uh, uh, John McCain's of the world who are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't increase the deficit this much and have us be on board and have us be comfortable. Then you've got Susan Collins and maybe McCain and a couple of others who, but, but Collins uh, publicly saying, I don't want to eliminate the mandate, uh, the, the Obamacare mandate requiring individuals to buy health insurance. I, we, we, we've, we've, we fought that battle. We lost that battle. I don't think we should come in the back door and try to do that. And it's doing that that creates the worst CBO problems that we were talking about earlier. So, and the, and the president and Mick Mulvaney at OMB has said, if we have to get rid of that, we can get rid of that. Well, that's a big deal if you keep it or, or, or get rid of it. It actually generates some revenue. We, we don't need to explain why, which is why it was like, hey, we, we can have our cake and eat it too. We can get rid of the individual mandate and suddenly we'll free up literally a couple hundred billion over 10 years that we can use to pay for this other stuff. Um, but if you do that, then you're going to invite all these other problems, these CBO analyses and so on. So what McConnell's trying to do is keep his, his, his group together when their problems purposes with each other. If you want to give <coughs> Johnson and Lankford more for smaller businesses, it's got to come from somewhere. Yeah, but Ellen, but Ellen, it seems to me that it seems to me that they're, they're they're playing the American voters as stupid. You know, it, at no point do we look at the messaging coming out of the White House as saying, "Wait a minute, this is a corporate tax code reform bill." That's not the messaging coming out of 1600 Pennsylvania. That message is coming out is. This is going to put more money into your pockets, middle America. And what, what even strikes me as even more, and you pointed this out, is the fact that even amongst the Republicans who may vote against this, Ron Johnson won't vote for it because he has a problem with it adding, like you said, adding to the deficit. Uh, you look at Jim Langford. No, no, his problem, is the, his problem is the small business. He's, his is the small oh, sorry, business. The small business. I, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. uh, Jeff Flake. 
Jeff Flake has said that he's got a problem that he can't put more money into the deficit. Uh, and then right. Susan Collins, who has a whole problem with it invoking uh, Obamacare. Right. To me, this is just another example of the botched messaging coming out of the White House. And I will say this, and I hate to say it, I think that this is a problem for both Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. They are literally trying to force a square peg into a round hole by trying to get the president's agenda, as flawed as it is, onto the floor before the end of the year and have this run ramshot. Go ahead, Alan, and then I want to go to Alan McKen. I was simply going to say that (laughs) – that there's this, this this amazing irony associated with all of this, right? We had a very sluggish recovery for the last six years uh, under President Obama. Very disappointing uh, recovery after the the disastrous 2007 and 2008 recession. Um, and and I'm not blaming anybody for it. I'm just saying we had a really slow recovery that surprised people. But meanwhile, there was a lot of pent up uh, demand and 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 rumblings under the surface, and whoever was going to be president was going to be the beneficiary of this uh, uh, this delayed uh, boost. Well, so here comes uh, the President Trump talking about uh, the need for jobs and how we're getting screwed on trade, and we we don't have any control of our borders, and that's harming the American worker, and we really need to toughen things up everywhere and reform the tax code so that we can get America America working again. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, as we're dealing with health care and all of the, the, the president's Twitter storms, the, the economy has picked up. Now, of course, the president and all presidents do this. They take credit when things are good, and they lay off blame when things are bad. Well, this president uh, claims credit for how great uh, the stock market is doing and how the the unemployment is gotten to be so low. Those same numbers he used to say were laughably wrong, he now embraces and, and grabs credit for. So a lot of the argument for tax a, a tax bill, tax bill now, tax bill hurry up, tax reform, um, were in the context of an economy that was lagging and slow and sluggish, and all of a sudden it, <laughs> it's been <laughs> – it's it's improved beyond anybody's expectation. I don't care who they are. Um, nobody incredible was expecting that the market be, would be up by twenty percent in the last year. It just nobody thought that, and it, and it is. And unemployment's low, <laughs> and and we're still trying to use the the same rhetoric of we need tax cuts, we need tax reform. The White House does an absolutely miserable job because. The president is talking about the biggest tax cut in history, and everybody's going to benefit. Oh, but I'm not, and rich people won't, and so on. Um, and that just that just further confuses because it's it's misinformation, um, and 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 that's the, <laughs> that's the situation. But there's an irony for me in the fact that the economy is doing really well, and we're still talking about how we <clears throat> desperately need this big tax bill. So that was Admiral all. Ken, oh. it, it strikes me that you know <laughs> th- th- there is a sort of 
talking out of both sides of their mouth coming out of the White House and even Republican leadership by pushing this so hard. Can the White House truly convince America that, you know, unless this tax bill goes through, you're going to have less money in your pockets? Or can the White House play the American electorate for the patsy that they seem to believe that they are? So the direct answer to your question, I think that um, barring a miracle, this bill's going to get going to get passed uh, because somehow or another, um, the White House, along able, ably assisted with a, a few Republicans who I used to think had souls, have have convinced the the American electorate that the world is flat. Um, so the. The biggest challenges that I have with this bill are – and I, at the risk of sounding like a single-issue um, single voter, uh, I'll have two, so I don't, I don't fall into that category as one. Um, the, the, the dissolution of, of uh, credit for state income taxes is, is, is crazy, especially when you live in northern Virginia. Um, if this goes through, uh, I'm moving to Florida as soon as I can, just so you know. Uh, two, dissolution of the tax credit for for uh, for, for mortgages. I, I think that that's one. It undermines um, the, um, the 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 um, the desire for most people to own their own home. And two, it's going to have a, a, ne- a negative impact on the uh, on the house building industry because guess what? If if I can't get a tax break and it's going to be it's going to cost me the same to live in a in an apartment as it does in a house. Yeah, the kids might need a background, but hell, I'll take them down the street to the playground. And then finally, I guess there's three, it blows a hole in the deficit. North Korea and China are not this country's biggest threat. Our debt is our biggest threat. And getting behind any bill that, that will increase that uh, to the tune of, of, of uh, 10, trillion, 10 or more trillion dollars is just insane. And the double talk that's coming out of people like Paul Ryan – for Pete's sake, and Ted Cruz that are trying to get behind this when it's going to blow a hole in the deficit, I, I, it's just it's it's laughable. It's beyond belief. And speaking of uh, retiring down to Florida, joining us from the Mosquito Coast itself <laughs> is uh, our favorite liberal political operative. He's Dan Lipner, joining us from Miami. Dan, how is the Sunshine State? Hola, mi amigos. <laughs> Dan Whitner, you've been hearing kind of you've been hearing the discussion on this tax bill. You gotta admit, uh this should be an opportunity that the Democrats could take advantage of and get the real message out about it. But it seems that they can't even get the messaging right to have America circle against this tax bill. Well, I'm not entirely certain that's true. I mean, a majority of people, Americans, don't support it, and I believe the the polling is out as far as people who do support it. It's in the 20s. So the undecided make up the difference, uh, which is not surprising. However, the fact that a majority of Americans disapprove of of it uh, sort of makes sense because all the things that we're talking about and have been said are essentially true, um, that – I mean, I absolutely agree with Alan. There is there is no economist that says this is a good idea right now. We're functioning in basically full employment. Uh, yes, wages have lagged behind, but that's that's an ongoing 
issue that it's entirely possible that the globalization of, of of labor as far as industries being able to jump across borders is, is more a determining factor on the pr- cost of labor as opposed to the booming economy. Uh, you still have an infinite workforce going on out there outside of the truly highly skilled. Uh, as far as Ken's points, the, the blowing a hole in the deficit, um, I, I, I would argue that the tax cuts for the fat cats you steal f- phrases uh, fr- from people who preceded me on the left. Uh, it has always been the general interest for for the tax cuts and the, oh, by the way, there are these ancillary benefits that we're, we're going to say it's the actual reason. The problem is, at the moment, none of those ancillary benefits are true. None of them are, are, are on the board. There, there's no stimulus uh, that could be out there potentially out there uh the blowing the hole in the deficit and those deficit hawks that previously as alan found you know democrats you know real you know want to do these things because they cost money uh but most of the time outside of recessions uh there is tax increases associated with those things that cost money because the public tends to want them uh from my point of view this is par for the course for for Republicans going through the motions of saying what these tax cuts are allegedly for, uh, but that not being true. I mean, even the Bush administration uh, went through and had a giveaway uh, by expanding uh, uh, Medicare without having any kind of payment mechanism that has now destabilized uh, Medicare in the long term. So there's a reoccurring theme for the Republican Party here, but as far as your point is, Democrats capitalizing on it, the larger issue is this stuff is complicated. And unfortunately, the as my grandfather would say, unless we can find a way of referring to it as the hood robin, the stealing from the poor to give to the rich, which essentially is this tax bill. Oh, my God. Uh, there, there's no oh easy way. Uh, there's no easy way of explaining Alan, it and get, Alan, getting easy, the point across. Easy, 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 Alan, easy, easy. Dan Leonard, let me, let me, let me just go to this. Is, you know, the – God, I don't know where to start with you on this. <laughs> Is, do the, could the Democrats benefit by – coming out and saying what I think most of America understands is our tax code is just flawed beyond all recognition. Is that an accurate statement? Right, but the reason it's flawed is because it, because there are interests that we want to promote through the tax code. That's the reason for it. All this business about the postcard is great as long as you don't want deductions for anything. And lo and behold, wanting deductions, as Ken pointed out, for your your the interest rate on your mortgage, that's one of those things. Wanting to be able to deduct medical expenses, wanting to deduct uh, your interest for your student loans, these are all things that you know add paper to the tax code. I mean, those you things know, that we rattled rattled off don't, aren't aren't single page items. They're they're complex. It's hard to do, and once you start working on you know business deductions and things like that. It gets really complicated really quick. So it's a you know, nonsense yeah. argument. Yes, there are there there are things that need to be simplified, or, or and there are loopholes in there 
that you know people take advantage of that ser- serve no benefit to the economy and just you know al- allow people to game the system. I'm generally in favor of getting rid of those, but explaining that that's the hard part. You know, Admiral Ken, there seems to be jazz hands going on. We just heard Dan give his jazz hands. We heard Alan <laughs> talk about the jazz hands on the Republicans. There seems to be jazz hands going all around. Is, is what is it going to take for Americans, the American electorate in particular, to start looking at in detail how this directly affects them, not buying off on the 30-second sound bites of the Democrats and the Republicans on either side. Uh, it, it seems to me that this is exactly the issue we talk about, that the American electorate has no personal responsibility in the way that they are governed, in this case, tax. Why are you asking me this question? I'm just a sailor. I, I, I stumble into this crap. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how you can get away from, away from the property taxes. You're going to live on a boat. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think barring, I think barring um, you know, I guess people starting to take a real hard look at what their government is doing to them uh, in the name of doing for them uh, is, is what it's going to take. You know, quite frankly, Justin, you know, I really, you know, as much as I thought I was, uh, I understood how things worked here, I really, the light didn't come on until I was in the Pentagon. And when it came on, it was blinding and frightening at the same time. Um, and, 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 and staying in touch and staying up to speed on this stuff requires that you, you don't take the word of any one particular news source, because as far as I'm concerned, um, they all put things uh, in in their own their own particular you know a light that's going to serve who they perceive their audience to be, um, but you've got to basically do do what I urge my my close friends and, and relative members to do is stay engaged, compare what you're hearing across print and and, uh, and broadcast media, and come to your own conclusion, and then go pick up the phone or your your computer and email or call your your representatives and say hey what the hell are you doing here. And and I, I don't think people are, are of a mind to do that. They're they're quote too busy. I mean we've talked before. What was what was the participation rate of most of the electorate in the last presidential uh, election? You know uh, what was the what was the the the, uh, the rate here in Northern Virginia for the last gubernatorial election? It was less less than less than forty percent on both of those. Yet you know we're expecting miraculous things to happen when we're not even putting in the time and effort to 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 stay stay engaged in what's going on. Sorry, but that's, right. I'm going to notice about the soapbox now. No, that, no, that's exactly where I wanted you to go. So I'm going to let that be the last word. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Admiral Ken, I actually want to talk to you about this latest provocation coming out of North Korea. Uh, the breaking news coming out of Pyongyang is that uh, North Korea has, in fact, t- tested another ballistic missile. Not that things couldn't get worse on this news cycle. Now, welcome, welcome to the welcome to the circus, kids. We'll be back in about two minutes. This is Backroom Politics Live from Miami, Florida, New York City, and your national capital region on Blog Talk Radio. Stay with us. We'll be back in two minutes. This is Backroom Politics. Live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us.
politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. the best political talk show you've never heard of. Uh, joining me as they do every Tuesday, Sharmila Chari up in New York, Ken Carradine, and Alan Moore from Northern Virginia. Dan Lipner joining us from the Mosquito Coast of the Sunshine State of Florida, and I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell, here in Washington, D.C. Uh, real quickly, news coming out of Pyongyang is that uh, they have tested another ballistic missile. Uh, the Kim regime continues to throw salt on a wound that is already festering. They continue to pro- to just continue to push out provocation after provocation. Let's go to Admiral Ken real quick. Admiral Ken, you know, this is the third or fourth ballistic missile test that they have done in the past six months. Uh, and they're in continuing to increase their technology and their ability to put up a missile that could at some point impact U.S. interests. How should the U.S. actually respond to this? Is this something that we just let it go and say, eh, he's a spoiled, rotten child? Or do we at some point realize that this could be a clear and present danger to national security? So so first of all, um, they have already – um, created enough missile technology to threaten, as you described it, U.S. Nat- national interests. Let's be clear about that. Japan, uh, South Korea, Guam are clearly places that we are um, directly uh, affected by here in this country, as most of our trade takes place uh, on the oceans, and Japan and South Korea are two of our biggest trading partners. 
Guam is a U.S. territory, so we are already looking at them being able to threaten US, directly U.S. national interests. I think the concern right now is whether the North Koreans um, can uh, put up a rocket that can reach North America, because that's going to be the next uh, um, the next milestone in uh, in their capabilities. Um, do we sit quietly and let it go by? Um, I think there's a valid case that you can say that we've done that for the last four or five administrations. Uh, I am not, I'm not a big fan of, of President Trump. You know that. Uh, I think anybody that listens to this show for more than five minutes knows that I, I have serious issues, but, uh, serious issues with, with the president and, and a lot of things that he's done and said. Um, the, the dealing with North Korea is not on that list. Um, the method in which he's dealing with North Korea um, is on that list, but this is a problem that we have got to uh, we've got to address, and we've got to find a way uh, to impact uh, to, to our best interest. The president's approach up until now has been to get uh, it's been to lean on the Chinese to get them to lean on North Korea. That has not happened. I think it's a credible case to be made that the that the increases that the uh, the North Koreans have been able to have. Uh, in their technology or the accelerations of the increase they've been able to have in their te- technology, uh, they, they, they're getting help. They have to be getting help. And, the, uh, and China would be the first place that I would look to see uh, them, them uh, obtaining uh, help from. So the problem's got to get solved. The problem's got to get solved. When, and when former, I'll, I'll end with this, when, when former Chairman Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, Mike Mullen, um, my, my favorite CNO, um, says that he's scared to death that uh, that that uh, uh, nuclear war with, with North Korea is more 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 probable than not. Then that kind of tells you that we really need to deal with this with this uh, in a very 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 deliberate and delicate manner. What scares me is one uh, a president who doesn't seem to understand that his tweets have a, a negative impact. Two. A secretary of state that's practically gutted the State Department and does not understand that the diplomacy is 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 the action that's 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 desired most by military people. Uh, th- those two things working in concert scare the crap out of me too. Dan, Dan Lipner, you know, Ken, Admiral Ken brings up a, a very critical point in all this. You know, the reporting coming out of Foggy Bottom is that you know Secretary of State Tillerson is not exactly being proactive in using the State Department to its fullest strength. In fact, there is now criticism of Secretary Tillerson uh, of almost dismantling part of the diplomatic corps. Uh, How dangerous a situation could that be if, in fact, the reporting is correct, that Tillerson is, in fact, kind of downscaling diplomatic security and uh, the diplomatic corps as a whole? I think you had it right before. I think Tillerson's approach is just going to be to wow them with our jazz hands. Uh, I'm not quite certain I understood the metaphor before, but I thought I'd throw it in. Um, the, <laughs> the, uh, the short answer is, yeah, it's troubling. And the, the boys with guns are absolutely a, 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 a tool uh, for foreign policy, but it's far from the only tool for foreign policy. However, we have a president that doesn't get it. Um, I'm kind of shocked that Tillerson doesn't get it, uh, but the president 
understanding that conversations and relationships can avoid some of those pesky incidents where the, the, the people that wear flak jackets uh, get into some real dangerous situations real quick. Um, but the president's actions, his tweets don't don't seem to have any bearing, or at least he doesn't seem to understand that it has any relationship to what happens in the outside world, with the only exception of he seemed, he seemed to have behaved himself a great deal when he was literally within range of uh, North Korean artillery. And, uh, but that seems to have changed as soon as he was out of range. So I don't know. I, I don't quite see it as dire as uh, uh, Admiral Mueller had um, or does. I, I, North Korea is clearly Mullen. in the nuclear club. Mullen, sorry. Uh, right. It's clearly in the nuclear club. And that's going to mean that they now have a de facto veto over actions, uh, depending on how well they choose to exercise uh, this new power. But uh, it's going to be an ongoing aggravation. Uh, I'm on, I'll honestly be surprised if the Chinese don't take action. I'm not certain I agree with Ken that the Chinese are providing this because there seems to be while there is some upside for the Chinese since it, it, it involves us spending a great deal of our attention and money uh, to counter the North Korean threat, which as far as the, the cost for us versus the cost for North Korea, it, we significantly uh, outpace them as far as w- what the outlay is. And that means attention can't be spent in other places. But still, if the trigger gets pulled... It's wildly bad for all of Asia, so it's not not clear that that upside is there for China. Admiral Ken, are we are we running out of time for diplomatic efforts to work? Are we getting closer and closer to a point of no return to use military force on this? I, I think so. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I think that, like I said before, the the big milestone here is going to be the point at which uh, the North Koreans achieve the capability or near near achieve the capability um of uh, uh putting putting a missile up that can reach the west coast of the United States. Um at that point whoever whoever the the president of the United States happens to be is going to have a uh, a significant uh choice on his or her hands and um and we're going to have to start thinking about the world uh a lot differently than we think about it right now. You know, uh, you know. I, there's been there's been some comments. Hang on one second. There's, there's been some comments made that you know, if the president, you know, hadn't stirred the pot with Kim Jong, uh, Kim Jong Un, that um, we wouldn't be in this situation. I, I don't agree with that. Um, I, I think that uh, Kim Jong Un looked at what had happened with um, places like Libya um, and, uh, and 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 Iraq. And saw the U.S. moving in with um, with its forces to destabilize uh, that leadership when it ran counter to U.S. interests, and he said that is not going to happen to me. And he looks at having a nuclear-capable country as being the, the greatest insurance policy of uh, keeping out U.S. military intervention. It was going to happen anyway. And so I think, like I said before, I, I think we are, you know, probably, you know, some 18 to 24 months, if at best. From from having to make some really hard choices about where we are right now. Sharmila, you agree? 
well, I want to push back a little on what uh, Admiral Ken said. I, I agree with his second, the second half of his commentary, which was that um, that you know Kim Jong Un has looked to what happened, the fates of Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi, and said that's not going to happen to me. But at the same time, thinking of this just from a purely um, utilitarian perspective, I guess I think there's there's a significant difference between. Kim Jong-un acquiring nuclear weapons or acquiring nuclear capability and actually using that nuclear capability. I still think that the incentives for him using nuclear capability are so skewed that it's just no rational actor. And I think no matter what you can say about Kim Jong-un, he has not yet shown himself to be a non-rational actor. No rational actor in his position would ever deploy a nuclear weapon. I think that Donald Trump, in a lot of ways, and I'm not, this is not an original thought, but Donald Trump has been the biggest blessing that Kim Jong-un could have hoped for with his brash rhetoric and his faux tough talk. Because the truth is that, you know, despite the police state and despite the strict control of information that the North Korean regime wants to impose on its people, information, more information than ever is leaking into that country. The people of North Korea are slowly starting to realize that, wait, this Kim family, maybe they're not so great. Maybe this insane society that they've built is actually not the best kind of society. But when Donald Trump comes in and starts hooting and hollering about fire and fury and we're going to wipe you off the face of the earth and, you know, starts calling Kim Jong-un names, suddenly the narrative that the Kim family and that the North Korean establishment has been feeding people that everyone's out to get us and that the West is this great evil, suddenly that starts to make sense. Right? And Donald Trump is giving him all the fuel that he needs to go to his people and say, look, you know, I'm your best hope to be protected, and they believe him again. And so I think that he, that Kim Jong-un right now is actually in a very, he's in the exact position he wants to be, and I don't think he's going to jeopardize that. I, I, I think, quite frankly, I, I, I push back a little bit, Sharmila. Um, any any use of the words uh, rational in the same sentence as, as Kim Kim Jong Un, um, I think it's hard for me um, to to look at that um, um, that that country in the way it's governed right now and uh, believe that that anyone with any real rationality would do the things to his people that 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 he's doing up to and including um, you know putting guys in place that would actually shoot. Shoot somebody twenty times trying to escape from the country the way that that, that happened last week. Um, well, I've been watching the Korea thing now since I was a lieutenant in the Navy, and the one thing is for sure, uh, the Kims um, have been on a track on this track now for a good long time, um, and um, and and I, I like I said the the biggest accelerator. Of them getting to this was watching what we did uh, with Iraq and uh, and what happened with the Arab Spring in Libya. Um, Donald Trump, um, for all of his for all of his his issues, um, he he may have you know caused the rhetoric, the temperature of the rhetoric to increase, but the pace of the of the uh, uh, improvements in their program they were going to happen anyway. They were going to happen anyway. Well, and I would just, again, gently push back in that I agree, you know, there's a difference between rationality and morality, right? No moral leader would ever commit the atrocities that Kim Jong-un or Bashar al-Assad has committed against their people. But a rational actor whose pure interest is self-preservation, I think it lines up. Wow. 
Ken, I want to start with you going around the horn. Is is military force now at a point where it is inevitable against North Korea? Around the horn. Admiral Ken? Uh, I, I never want to say that I think military force is inevitable. Um, I, I like to think that there's always a way for diplomacy to uh, – to, to, to do something to keep to keep military force from uh, from having to be applied. Uh, I think the clock's ticking. Um, I think that um, the administration, such as it is, uh, has not marshaled the the appropriate level of uh, talent and effort to uh, to make that a, uh, a reality. But I don't I don't I never will be the one to think to think that military force is ever uh, inevitable unless unless you've got a Pearl Harbor kind of an attack. And uh, I don't think that's what we're looking at here. And Charmel? I mean, I, I would agree with Admiral Ken, and I would you know, add that I, I truly hope not, because more than any other military conflict that involves the loss of life on both sides, I think this one would be a truly no-win event. Dan Lipner? Jazz hands save the world. <laughs> Alan Moore? <laughs> No, it's not inevitable. Don't even, don't even go just, there. Don't even start. Yeah, it, it's not. It's nothing is inevitable, as 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 Ken points out. It's just that the, that it keeps ratcheting up, as it has now for a couple of decades. I I don't agree with Sharmila that Trump is a great gift to North Korea. I think the information flow is still very constricted there, and even if it were, it would be. I think the message that would come across would be, oh my God. We've got crazy Kim and they've got crazy Donald. Um, so uh, they don't know quite what we're up to. We don't know what they're up to. We think we're rational. They probably think they're rational. Um, they remember in terms of these these missiles, they're, they're going a little bit farther, a little bit farther. What we don't know is whether they can aim them very well. And we don't know how long it's going to take for them to marry up. Um, the, the nuclear weaponry that they appear to have. We don't know how many they have. We, it, it's not simply a matter of <laughs> strapping it on and pressing a button. It's really, really complicated. They're a lot closer than we thought they would be. We don't have a good fix uh, on, on how close they are, but as, as has been pointed out, they're clearly moving in that direction faster than we expected. We hope that their 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 desire for self-preservation as a as uh, Kim as a leader and and for for the survival of the country, we just can't rely on that. Which is why we need to do a better job with other countries in the region, uh, most particularly China, South Korea, Japan, um, the, the 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 strongest countries, and and uh, and, and Russia for that matter. Um, right. But uh, I don't think anything's inevitable. The president has said, ah, talking's a waste of time. And then, no, talking's good. Talking's important. We've got to keep right. talking. Um, you know, they're, they're as confused about us, uh, perhaps, as, right. as we sometimes are of them. Right. Right. Well, uh, obviously, we're going to be keeping an eye on this. This is not a topic that's going away. So I'm sure this will come up. In future shows, uh, we've got about seven and a half minutes left in the show, and I want to take editorial privilege here and kind of give an editorial on one thing that happened yesterday because I've been getting a lot of phone calls on it. Um, I want to start out by saying this: 
the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, is either tone deaf or insists on using racist comments. Here's where I'm going with this. Yesterday afternoon at a in a uh, event in the Oval Office, President Trump was honoring the code talkers of the Navajo Nation. For those who don't know who, what, who the code talkers were, the code talkers were World War II Marines who were, uh, who were citizens of the Navajo Tribal Nation. They spoke fluent Navajo as a means of communicating with other military units in the Pacific, it is the one code that the Japanese could never break. So these code talkers, in many cases, made the ultimate sacrifice, in, 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 but all of them dedicated to service to their country, not just their American country, but their Navajo nation. During this, and there are not many of them left, let me just say, that those that appeared in the Oval Office yesterday are well into their 80s and into their 90s in many instances. There was only three or four that were able to attend this honorific in the Oval Office. One would think that the president would have this, what would normally be a softball event honoring those who sacrificed for their country, in this case, the Navajo's co-talkers, he couldn't even do that right. And instead used that opportunity to honor these Navajo Native American co-talkers, proud U.S. Marines, he used it to politicize his disapproval of Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat of Massachusetts, by calling her Pocahontas. Why is this important to me? Uh, for those who don't know, I work for a Native American tribe, the tribal government. Uh, I'm not going to mention the name. I don't want to politicize it any further, but I do work uh-huh. with Indian country quite closely. They are like family to me. The, this is a population of our nation that continues to be the spurn of racism misunderstanding, and just quite frankly continues to get screwed by the federal government that was designed to help work with them in their tribal sovereignty. The bottom line here is, as long as the Washington Redskins continue to use their logo, their mascot, their name, as long as President Trump continues to use a historical figure such as Pocahontas, which, by the way, is a racist comment that he made. And to give you an example, go up to any Native American that you meet, walk up to the biggest Native American you meet and call him Tonta. Call him Geronimo. See what happens. These are historical figures in the Native American community, and the president continues to just wipe his feet over their heritage. This has to stop. And the president and Sarah Huckabee Sanders, by saying that, the, that Senator Warren calling it a, uh, a – calling the, uh, the accusation of it being a racist slur 
uh, her just basically pushing it off as insanity is just more proof that this president does not understand the gravity of, that his words have in his office as president of the United States. Donald Trump needs to fix this. He has hurt people with his words, and now he's directly affecting and hurting people that I care about, that I work closely with. And you know what? He shouldn't do that, not only to the people that I work with. He shouldn't use racist terms at all. He's got to realize and grow up. You are the president. Start acting like it. There. I'm off my soapbox. I had to get that out. That. I apologize, but I took editorial privilege. I can do that once in a while. I don't do it often, but once in a while, I have to. Uh, the, next, Moore, the next time you do it, the next time you do it, give us some time to discuss it. Now, I, that one, that one, I we didn't have enough time. I, I knew I had about three minutes uh, that I had to go I'm just off saying, on. I, I'm just yeah. saying, there's 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 additional perspective here, which is not to defend his stupid comments, but. Anyway, you know what? I, I will tell you, explain that to the millions of Native Americans that really took exception to the way he did it and why he did it. Explain you know, what? It, it, what's that? You explain what? I'm just saying, if, if you're going to bring it up, and uh, then let us discuss it. Don't just bring it up with your unique perspective alone and drop it. There's, I'm not defending the guy. I think it was idiotic. But it was put his, his people into a, into a horrible, horrible position. Um, and uh, uh, he's got an ongoing battle with, with Elizabeth Warren, who appears to have exaggerated her ancestral connection to Native Americans. I don't like the way he calls her out on that. Like, like you said, Alan. Question. Alan, like you said, there are additional perspectives on this, and, and uh, I, Justin, I would ask that maybe you can open up next week's show with this, but uh, that comment alone, Alan, uh, bears some discussion too. Sorry. Well, Al, I, I'll tell you. we got 60 seconds left. I appreciate the perspectives, guys. We, we will talk about it next week, but that's something I had to get out. Anyway, with that in mind, uh, on behalf of uh, Alan Moore, Admiral Ken Sharma Achari and Dan Lipner down in Florida. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next Tuesday for the best political talk show you've never heard of, Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. Have a great week, America. And, you, by the way, you can follow us on our Twitter account, at Backroom Politics. You can also follow us on Facebook, at uh, facebook.com slash Radio, Or you can email me, justin at backroompolitics.org with your comments. Thanks a lot, America. Keep watching. Bye-bye. This is Backroom Politics.